Amen. As you get comfortable and find your seat, uh, I want to remind you of this rite of passage that we have in kind of modern society. I don't know how far it goes back, but I can tell you that I've continued the tradition. It is that moment when you're raising kids and you set them down and you say, now look, with great privilege comes great responsibility. Who has, who has had that conversation? Either you've given it or received it. Right? You remember that? I remember when I was getting ready to get my driver's license, and I was so excited about it. My mom and dad sat me down and said, Now, Zach, I just want you to know, with great privilege comes great responsibility. And I was like, What? And they said, Yeah, you know, let's talk about this. And they were talking me through the fact that new things were coming. I was getting my driver's license, and that meant every now and then I could borrow the car keys. And I would have the opportunity to drive around. And with great privilege comes great responsibility. And I had that conversation with my parents probably 4,000 times. Now, young people, if you haven't had it yet, just wait. That's coming. It's going to come either when you go to get a cell phone or whether you go to get your driver's license or whatever it may be. With great privilege comes great responsibility. Uh, Today's message is like a cousin to that. It's not that message, but they're related. Uh, And I think it's an important conversation for us to have because this is November. And this is the season where we're being thankful, right? And uh, maybe at some point in your Bible study time or maybe during your prayer time, you're going to sit down and you're going to make a list of all the things that you're thankful for, all the gifts, all the ways that God has been gracious to you. And here's what I want you to think about this morning. It is great to receive gifts from God, but what's really important is what you do with those gifts. God may gift you this, whatever this may be, right? But what's important is not just that God has given that to you, but but what am I doing with the gift that God has given me? This morning, we're going to look in Genesis chapter 11. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11. And we are going to be studying a group of people who did not do this well. There's no better way to say it. There's no kinder way to say it other than they failed miserably. And I think it's important for us to look at those failures in the Bible. I had a lead pastor one time, and he probably said once a month. And you're probably saying, Pastor Zach, I think you say this once a month. Maybe so, because it's worth repeating over and over and over. But wise people learn from other people's mistakes. And this morning, uh, as we think about utilizing the gifts that God has given us for righteous purposes and holy purposes and good purposes, uh, we're going to explore that this morning. We're going to be looking in Genesis chapter 11 at a group of people, not one person, a whole group, who did not use the gifts that God gave them very well. We're going to be looking in Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 1. We're going to be looking at nine verses. Look with me this morning at God's word. Uh, And then we'll look to our notes section as well. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and all the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain uh, in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and let's build a tower with its tops in the heavens and let's make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do. 
And nothing that they will propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come now, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all of the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now, as you can imagine, there's a lot of questions that pop out from this scripture, and there's a lot to be said about what we're looking at this morning. And I say that because if you have a question in your mind as we look at this text today that I don't get to this morning, I want you to notice at the bottom of the sheet there's a way for you to just reach out and ask a question. And so if I leave, if, if, if your question is not on my list to answer this morning, ask it to me anyway. Uh, scan that QR code and let's talk about whatever it is that you find intriguing about this scripture Uh, One of the things that probably collectively all of us find intriguing or maybe not find intriguing, but maybe even some of us struggle with uh, the the sense of, wow, is this really that big of a deal? Is God really upset that somewhere, someplace a long time ago, a group of people got together and they were just building a building? Like, what's the big deal with that, right? And so I want to spend some time helping you to understand what's the big deal. Now, we didn't look at this scripture, but if you're making notes because you want to go back and study this later, a really important verse for you to understand is found in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. That is when God says to these people, what I want you to do is I want you to disperse over all the world and I want you to multiply. I want you to populate the entire planet. That was God's command. That was God's wish. That was God's desire. That was God's calling. And now we get two chapters later, and we see they had decided not to. Now, as I was thinking about the scripture, I was thinking about modern ears and modern eyes looking at the scripture and and how likely it is that some of us might read what these people did and say, this is really small potatoes. Like This really isn't that big of a deal. It's one of those things where we should call it a little mistake and just move on. It's not that big of a deal. Or we may, we may call it a, a whoopsie <laughs> and shrug it off and act like it didn't happen and move on. But that would be modern ears and modern eyes. And what I want to do this morning is help you understand why Genesis 11, 1 through 9, not, not only was a big deal for them, but is a huge deal for us. And I want you to see the consequences. If you have your notes, you see that uh, we're going to look at the consequences of what happened first. And then we're going to seek to learn from their failure. Now, I just want to be clear. I'm not beating these people up. I'm not throwing rocks at these people. I'm just saying they messed up and let's you and I learn from it before we do the same thing, right? That this morning, let's start by understanding the consequences. I see in the scripture three significant signs or evidences that this rebellion was significant. The first is in verse 7 where it says, God came down to oppose them. God came down to oppose them. 
Now, we know that God leaving heaven and coming to earth isn't something that never happens. It happens often in the Bible, even in the New Testament, uh, back into the Old Testament. We see it happen over and over again. We know that God visits earth. We know that God made his dwelling on earth. We know that God visited his people. We know that we saw that in in the Garden of Eden. We know that God came and would spend time and, and comfort people. We know that God would come and spend time and guide people. We know that God would come and and do all kinds of things here on earth. But most of the time, they are so awe-inspiring, it just makes us want to go, that's so nice. But not here. One of the consequences of their rebellion is that God came down to oppose them. And I think that's significant. Verses 7 and 8 give us that picture that God is going to come down and confuse them, and oppose them, and disperse them. And so that's their relationship to God. I would call that a vertical consequence between them and God. The horizontal consequence, the consequence between them and themselves, is the second point, and that is that community was broken and fragmented. God did two substantial and significant things that day. Uh, He dispersed them. And he confused their language. And so in essence, because of their rebellion, they they were forced to disperse and they were forced to have different languages, which leads me to this third point of consequence, and that is that their obedience was done through discipline and not love. And this may be the one that makes me the saddest in my heart. Let me explain what I mean. I have three kids. Uh, My wife, Crystal, and I, we've worked really really, really, really hard at raising them uh, to, to flourish and to be in the household and walk with God. And there are times in our household, I've got a 21-year-old this month, I've got a 19-year-old, I've got a 13-year-old, and there are times in our house where Crystal and I, we need something done. So we may suggest it, we may assign it, we may hint at it. We may outright say it, right? But, but one of our kids comes into the knowledge that we have a need and we're looking to them to fulfill it. And I want to believe that all three of my amazing children are just sitting around waiting to find some way that they can just bless the family. And when they hear of this need... They say, you know, Dad, this morning I was just looking for ways that I could do what you want me to do. And if you think that the trash is important, and if you think its location is important, specifically, Dad, if you think the location of the trash should be out in the bin instead of here in the house, out of pure love, I would just be pleased to take this trash and deliver it to the bin. Now, clearly in our house, that's the way it happens every time. (laughs) But sometimes kids are busy, right? They have stuff to do. Sometimes they have other things that they want to do. And there have been one or two times in my kid's life where obedience didn't birth from a place of love. It was birthed from a place of discipline. And while that's good... And while discipline is a very good thing, I have to tell you that as it relates to this text, it chills me 
to think that, that God would have to force me to obey Him. That, that obedience would be something that's done out of discipline and not love. Like, I don't ever want that to be said about me. I don't ever want it to be said about me that I rebelled against God and the discipline, right, is what caused me to obey. But that's one of the consequences that we see here. God had clearly given them the direction in chapter 9, verse 1. I want you to go and spread out all over this globe and populate this thing and multiply. And they were seeking to be rebellious. And so they obeyed through discipline, not through love. I think that's significant consequence. And so this morning, what I want for us to do, now that we see it's a big deal, right? We see a vertical uh, consequence where God came down to oppose them. We see a horizontal consequence where their community, their togetherness was broken and disrupted. We see that their obedience was, was shaped through, through discipline and not necessarily through love. Now, I want for us to learn some things from these people. The greatest thing you and I could do this morning would be to walk out this morning having learned what they did wrong so that we can go do it right is what we want to do this morning. So, so what do we learn from their failure? The first thing that we learn from their failure is that the gift of togetherness can be used in rebellion. Or if, if togetherness seems like a strange word for you, substitute the word community. The gift of community can be used towards rebellion. You see, the whole point this morning is for us to think about using the gifts that God has given us in the right way, in the good way, in the holy way. And one of the things that we learned from this group of people in Genesis chapter 11 is that they took the gift of togetherness, the gift of community, the gift of dwelling together for encouragement's sake, for survival's sake, for protection's sake, for comfort's sake. Just the, the gift of being together was was perverted and it was used in rebellion. Here's what I want you to see. Go back with me into the scripture. And I want you to look at verse 3. And they said to one another. What's that mean? It means there wasn't one bad apple going around telling, hey, you know what we should do? We should rebel against God. There wasn't one black sheep. It was a collective thing. They began to talk to one another about rebellion. They used the gift of togetherness to entertain and then to adopt rebellion. Look in chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 4. And then they said to one another. They had the vision of rebellion and together they used that gift of togetherness for rebellion. I can't tell you how important this is. I cannot overemphasize the importance of this. Now we look at it and we usually don't build buildings. Probably we're not here making uh, bricks and building towers because we want to build a tower into heaven. And so you may look at this and go, I don't feel very connected to this. What does it look like in modern society? And so I did a little Q&A if you want to jot this down. The question is, what happens when the we or the us or the togetherness, what happens when we shift from being obedient to God to being in rebellion? And here's what happens. The society becomes more and more wicked because we are making decisions based on popular culture 
and what the group wants rather than the will of God. Now, if there's not application there, I can't help you. (laughs) You can look at the world today and see that the togetherness, the gift of togetherness, oftentimes is used against the will of God. Now, you and I are at a disadvantage. I have to tell you this straightforwardly uh, as it relates to Genesis 11. And here's our disadvantage. You and I belong to a lot of different communities. These people in Genesis 11, they had one group. Like the PTA, they were all together. The community, all together. The community of faith, all together. Their friend circle, all together. Like, they were just one group of people in Genesis 11, right? But you and I operate in different circles of influence. And we have different communities that we belong to. And some of them relate to school. And some of them relate to hobbies. And some of them relates to church family. And some of them relate to jobs. And probably if you said, what groups do I belong to? You can make a long list. And so we have to be thoughtful with that. In fact, what I wrote down in my notes, because I thought that it was important for us to think about, is this is what I put in my notes as I was getting ready for this message. By the grace of God, we have the chance today to look deeply at our communities and get real with ourselves about the communities and about the tribes to which we belong. Meaning, I want to ask myself this question. The circles of friends... And the communities that I belong to, are we actively seeking to honor God or to rebel against God? And I've got to do that with every community that I belong to. And I've realized not every community that you belong to is a, quote, Christian community. We belong to other communities in the world that aren't necessarily stamped by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I realize that and, and I celebrate that actually. I think it's good that you and I who belong to Jesus are uh, out of the salt shaker and into the world and making a difference around us. But the question for you and I, am I using the gift of community to bless God or to fight God? The gift of togetherness can be used for rebellion. Second, the gift of technology can be used for rebellion. Now, you may look at this scripture. You may be looking back at it going, technology? I didn't see any technology in there. I didn't see any tech. There was no reference to tablets, computers, no iPhones, right? No Androids. There's no technology there. But here's what I want you to understand. At one time, bricks, they were a new technology, when? I don't know. I wasn't around. It was before my time. But, but think of technology in the terms of new things that we use to build our lives. And you can look at those bricks that they were making as some type of technology that was being leveraged for a purpose. And at some point, they decided to take their creative energies and to take these technologies that they were creating and to bring it together and to leverage their technology to rebel against God. And so that caused me to write down a question for myself as I think about the different technologies that I have. Now, I have to be honest, when I walk by a house or a building and it's bricked, I don't think, oh, wow, that's some amazing technology right there. Like, I'm beyond that. I don't think in, in those terms anymore. But there's still new and innovative stuff that comes out, right, that we look at it and we go, well, now that's interesting. And all of those technologies that I 
see, experience, and embrace in my life, I just want to ask the question, am I using them to love God or to fight God? For these people in Genesis 11, bricks were their technology. For me, my technology may be different. It may be the social media platforms, or it may be computer programs that I use to either do good or to do evil, right? Or it may be technologies in some other places besides computers and phones. But the point is, the gift of technology, of creating things because we're made in the image of God and we're creative beings, can be used for good or evil. And I have to answer for myself, how am I using my technology? The third is ambition. The gift of ambition can be used to rebel against God. Now, in my mind at least, ambition is a rather neutral thing. It is the desire to get up and accomplish something. Now, the something, I think, is where it gets determined whether or not that ambition is good or misplaced. And what I want you to see here in the scripture this morning, go back with me in Genesis chapter 11, if you will. I want you to see that their ambition was not bent towards the things of God. Look with me uh, in in verse 7. Excuse me. Uh, Not in verse 7. Look in verse 4. They said to one another, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, they're saying to one another, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They had so much ambition inside of them. Let's get up and build this magnificent, monstrous thing. Like You've got to have some ambition to be able to see that and to have the energy to go and, and be about that. But it was so misplaced because it was done with the heart to build a name for myself so that I am not dispersed, meaning so that I'm not having to do what God wants for me to do. Ambition is God-given, but it's a gift that can be used in rebellion. Remember, the whole point of this message is for us to remember that the gifts that God has given to us, we're accountable for the way that we use those gifts. The gift of community, the gift of technology, uh, the gift of ambition. How we're using our gifts are important. What would it have looked like if they would have said, let's all come together and build something so magnificent that in 3,000 years people will look at it and talk about how amazing God is. But that's not what they did. They said, let's build something so that people will remember us. And their primary motivation was me and not God. In other words, that song we just sang, holy, 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 they, they would be cool with that song as long as they could change a couple of words. They wouldn't change the holy, holy, holy part. But instead of Lord God Almighty, they would put their name. Holy, holy, holy is me, myself, and I. Look what I've done. I have built a tower to the heavens. Ambition and the purpose of it is important. And so my question is, what is your ambition driving you to do? And to whose glory is your ambition pointing? That's an important question for us. And while it's an important question, it may not be the most important question that we look at this morning. If you have your notes, you see that uh, there's one more question that I really think is important for us. 
to really ask ourselves. And I want to give it to you this morning and explain why it's in your notes. The question is, have I learned that I can't work my way to heaven? Have I learned that I can't work my way to heaven? Here's why I say that to you. I want you to look at verse 4. And I want you to hear what these people are saying to each other. Again, this is not just you know, like one weirdo in the group that's throwing a wrench in everybody's obedience. This is what they're saying to one another in verse, in verse 4. Come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. They were trying to work their way into the heavens. And my question for you is, have you learned that you can't work your way to heaven. Now, in a sense, we can look at verse 4, right? And if, if we're honest, we can kind of look at it a little arrogantly and go, who are these people? Like, what are they thinking, right? They're going to build a tower that's going to get them to heaven? Bless their heart. And it's so easy for us, so far removed to just kind of smirk at them and go, who are these people? But be careful. Because there's probably people in here this morning who think they're going to work their way to heaven. Now, they may not go out and make bricks and build a building so they can climb it and be in heaven. But there are people who think that they're going to earn their way and they're going to work their way to heaven. And while on paper it may look as silly as it could possibly be, I can promise you in a room this large with this many people here, there are people sitting in this room right now and their full hope of being granted entrance into heaven one day when they die is that they have worked hard enough to get to heaven. And you may say, well, how do I know? If that's where I'm at, you may, you may be new to faith and you may be working through this and thinking through this right now for yourself, maybe for the first time. And you're like, well, I've never thought about this before. Answer this. Here, here's, how you, here's how you get to whether or not you're trying to work yourself into heaven. You just answer the simple question. If right now you were to stand before God and God were to say to you, why should I let you in? To my heaven. How would you respond? Some might say, well, God, um, you know, at our church, once a month, we feed homeless people. And I go at least once a year. Or you may say, well, every time Pastor Zach says something about the budget, I put a little something in the box on the way out, right? Or you may say, well, I read my Bible or I did my prayers. Or you may say, well, Lord, I think that my good outweighed my bad. Don't you think? Here's the thing with all of those responses. I'm being humorous, but this actually is really not humorous at all. It's eternally significant. What all of those responses have in common is that they're all based on me working my way to heaven. Maybe it's feeding the homeless. 
Maybe it's giving offerings. Maybe it's thinking, well, if my good outweighs my bad, I might get into heaven. It's not based on any of that. It's based on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We owed a debt that we could not pay. And he paid a debt that he didn't owe. And that's the beautiful significance of communion that we celebrate once a month that we've done this morning. It's that every time that we take communion, we preach to ourselves that I can't work my way into heaven. I can't earn my salvation. My only hope of eternal life is represented here with this bread and this juice, the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ and the shed blood of the Lord on the cross. The Bible says that we're all sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you're here today and, and church is new for you and learning about faith is new for you, that is a fundamental scripture. Some of us need to know that the Bible is very clear that we all are sinners. There's not a person that's in this room that's not a sinner. So we, we have all rebelled against God. The scripture says that our works do not get us into heaven. We are not saved by our works. Just like these people in Genesis 11 couldn't build that tower tall enough, our works can't build a tower tall enough to get us into heaven. We are not saved by works. The Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith. Our part of the equation is to simply come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. Just like we sang, I need you, Lord. I need you to save me. I need your sacrifice to give me life. I just wanted to be so clear about that this morning because, uh, because we live in a culture that's very religious. And I do not mean this negative towards our culture, but we live in a culture that's very religious, but not very biblical. And it's important that when we think about the things of God, that we allow scripture to shape the way that we think about them. So if you're here today thinking that one day when you stand before God and all of those angels are singing holy, holy, holy like we were just singing and the Lord says to you, how am I going to let you in? And, and you start to talk about all your good works, you've missed it. Your good works will never get you into heaven. And so if this is something that you're learning for the first time today, this is the morning that you need to turn from all of that and you need to put your trust in Jesus. You need to put your faith in Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do that today. Don't wait. Uh, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And so if you're here and you're discovering all of this for the first time, or you're here and you've heard this hundreds of times, but you've never done it yet, then what I want to say to you today is don't wait any longer. Just like we look at these people trying to build their way into heaven, some of us are trying to work our way into heaven. And it's going to leave us exhausted, getting nowhere in broken relationships. And actually, going back to the scripture, God will oppose that work. And so I want to ask you to bow with me this morning as we close. 
And as you just sit before God, I just want to pray over you this morning. Lord, first I pray for my friends who are here this morning who are trying to work their way into heaven. Or even if those who are online with us, worshiping with us this morning, might be trying to earn their way into heaven. I pray that the scripture would once again teach each one of us that that is not possible. I pray for my friends who need to take that step, who need to give up desiring to earn salvation. And I pray that you would give them not just that call, but that courage to take a step of faith and say, I need you, Lord. I need you. I pray for people this morning to put their faith in you, Jesus. I pray over my brothers and sisters who have taken that step, that as they reflect on Genesis chapter 11, that they would think about their communities and they would think about the technologies that they have in their life and they would think about all of that ambition that is surging through their veins and their minds that wake them up on a Monday morning and cause them to go out into the world and do great things. I pray that as we reflect, we would see that these three gifts are being used for your glory. And so, Lord, we go from this place with a full heart, thanking you that you've allowed us to learn a lot of important things from some way distant people that just the first pass we may not think that we have much in common with. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of the word of God. Thank you for its power, its accuracy, its relevancy to our life. We pray all of this together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.